find your place in the book of 2 Kings chapter 4. I know it's been a couple weeks, uh, but we've been looking at the life of Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 4, we have been examining this Shunammite woman. Her story begins in verse 8 and it continues to verse 37. And what we have tried to um, uh, notice together is that this Shunammite woman's story is told by dividing uh, up the entire story into three days. Now, years transpire throughout this story from beginning to end, several years, many years, maybe 10 plus years, possibly. But uh, only three days are given to us and described in these verses. And these days are noted by the phrase, and it fell on a day. Do you see that in verse 8? Do you see that in verse 11? And then verse 18 is where we're going to pick up our reading. There's another day, this third day that is given to us. And uh, I'll talk about these three days in a minute, but let me read what takes place on this third day. There's a resurrection that takes place on the third day. How about that? Pretty interesting right there, ain't it? Y'all know any other resurrections that took place on the third day? And uh, that's what we're going to... And it's quite a bit of reading, so I normally may not read this many verses, but I feel compelled to read the entire section here, what takes place on this third day. And I want to begin reading in verse 18, and we'll go all the way down to verse 37. So do your best to pay attention and listen and try to uh, keep in your mind what is taking place. Of course, on the first day, she builds a chamber for uh, the prophet Elisha. On the second day, the prophet Elisha comes to her. Well, she comes to him. But uh, she is asked what she wants. She doesn't want anything. And the servant points out that she doesn't have a son. And so Elisha says, God's going to give you a child. You've been barren, but God's going to give you a son. And, of course, God does give her a son. And so this miracle son is grown, the Bible says in verse 18. And when the child was grown... It fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. And he said, Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon or Sabbath. And she said, It shall be well. Then she saddled an ass and said to her servant, Drive and go forward, slack not thy riding for me, except I bid thee. So she went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, that he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold, yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her, and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet, but Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her, and the Lord hath hid it from me and hath not told me. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up thy loins and take my staff in thine hand and go thy way. If thou meet any man, salute him not. And if any salute thee, answer him not again and lay my staff upon the face of the child. 
And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and told him, saying, The child is not awakened. When Elisha was coming to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door upon them twain and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon his child, upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands and stretched himself upon the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was come in unto him, he said, Take up thy son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. I know that was quite a bit of reading. And I'm not going to cover every single one of these verses. In fact, I'm going to leave a lot on the table that uh, probably some good preaching tonight. But I'm just, let me just pick out what I feel like the Lord's put on my heart for tonight. And then maybe we'll glean back through here and pick up some other things a little bit later if that's the Lord's will. But I've been looking at these three days. And, I, and my thought was this. And my thought has been this. This is how the Lord kind of hung this on my heart. And that is, there are three days that are mentioned to us. The first day I called it this in verses 18 through, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 10. I called it that was her day of serving. There was an opportunity for her to be a blessing to the man of God. She was given an opportunity. She had been given resources to be a blessing. As often as he passed that way, she would compel him, constrain him, come eat a meal. She would take of her resources what God had given to her, and she gave to somebody in need. And can I tell you, that is going to be a lot of the days of our life, is just simply serving him out of what he has given us. He has given us us an opportunity. He has given us resources and where there is a legitimate need and God puts somebody in our path, I want you to identify that day. That is your day of serving. I think we overcomplicate this idea of generosity and we over-spiritualize this idea of service where we're waiting on some angel to fall out of heaven and tell us exactly what we need to do. Can I tell you a lot of the service that we'll do for God is just simply recognizing a need, recognizing that there is an opportunity, recognizing that God has blessed you and given you resources, and then taking those resources that God has blessed you with and using them to be a blessing to somebody else. That is service. And you'll be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be, but I think we would be surprised at how God can take just opportunities that He gives us and the resources that He gives us. You say, well, I don't have a lot. That's okay. If God hadn't given you a lot, then he don't expect you to give a lot. How about that? In fact, that's a principle in the book of 2 Corinthians. I think chapter 8 and 9 where he talks about that giving. As give according to that which you have. Not that you have not. God don't expect you to give something you don't have. He expects you to trust Him and, and, and obey Him. But, 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 but if God's given you a little bit, then take that little bit God's given you and be a blessing in somebody else's life. God has called on us to serve. That is the antidote for stinginess. That is the antidote for selfishness and for covetousness that plagues our, our, our country and our homes and our churches is be a giver. God loveth a cheerful giver. Give out of, a, out, of, out of a cheerful heart that God has blessed you and, and served somebody else. Get your head out of the sand. Get your head out of what's going on in your life and look around. There may be somebody passing by your way that you can stop and be a blessing to. Amen. I know that's not the kind of preaching everybody wants to shout on right there. But it's true. It's true. Quit waiting for some angelic revelation. All right, just, you got it, they need it, it's a legitimate need, just, just meet it, just do it. And if God's blessed you, then be a blessing to somebody else. That was her day of serving. That was her day of serving. And then the second day, 
verses 11 through 17. I call that her day of blessing. A day of blessing. It was a day in which God gave her a great blessing. Almost out of nowhere, she wasn't asking for it. She wasn't looking for it. That's not why she, that's not why she was helping Elisha. In fact, I made a case. I know it was about a month ago or so, but I made a case why probably she didn't even know he was a man of God at first. Just somebody that passed by and somebody she was trying to help. And then she began to pick up on the fact, hey, this is a man of God. Let's build him, let's build him a, a, a chamber that he can stay in that would help him on his journey. Let's feed him. Let's house him. Let's, let's be a blessing to him. And then all of a sudden, while the man of God, Elisha, is laying in the very bed that has been provided for him by this generous woman and her husband, what does he do? He says, you know what, I need to be a blessing to her. And she call, and he calls for her and, and tries to get out of her something that he can do to be a blessing to her. And, of course, she doesn't mention anything as humble as she appears to be. It's not like she was just waiting at her opportunity. All right, now here's where I'm going to get paid back for everything that I've done. And can I tell you, if that's all you do is if you serve God just to get paid back, I'm going to tell you something, you're going to be disappointed a lot of times. If you serve God with expectations, those expectations will not be met because it'll never be enough. You'll never feel like you get enough. It's like that parable that Jesus gave of the, of the, of the workers in the vineyard, right? And where at the end, they're expecting more than what was even promised to them because you know, they see how the master's been generous. But those workers that come in and they, they just work, they didn't, they didn't agree on a certain wage or anything like that. They just come in. They were surprised. They were thankful. Can I tell you, that is, a, listen, the grace of God is best experienced when you let it surprise you. When you just say, Lord, I love you. I'm going to serve you just because you have been good to me and because uh, you've been a blessing in my life and you've blessed me and I have an opportunity to serve you. I'm just going to serve you. And whatever you want to give to me, that'll be fine. I don't have a demand. I don't have a, I don't have, I'm not signing a contract. I'm not signing kind of agreement like that. God, you just do whatever you want in my life. And I tell you, those kind of people regularly experience the blessings of God. They're the most generous, they're the most cheerful people, generous people, happy people. People, those that are just always, every time you turn around, being surprised by the goodness of God. That's a great way to live. It's a wonderful way to live. Rather than living by contract. All right, God, well, I'll, I'll do this, but you got to do that. That's, that's, that's when you get your grumpy Baptist right there. I'm put my glasses back on so I can see who's grumpy tonight. Grumpy Baptist. Well, I'll do this if somebody do that. That's where you get your grumpy ones from. No, just, 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 just fulfill your day of serving and let God choose when your day of blessing comes and how it's going to unfold in your life. But she gets one. And that blessing is directly connected to service, no doubt about that. And God, God spoke to my heart so much through that, those, those verses there. We looked at those several weeks ago. And then you come to this last day, and I'm going to call it this, and here's what I'm preaching on tonight. That's just the day of testing. There's a day of testing. It's when her faith was put to the test. And I think those three days right there really sum up what most of the Christian life is really all about. You're going to have days of serving. You're going to have days of blessing. And then you're going to have days of testing. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not preaching anything tonight. I'm going to point out obvious things tonight. Nothing, And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to just kind of pick out a couple observations from the text and we're going home tonight. And I'm just going to tell you something you already know, but you just need to hear it again. And that is this, is that there will be days of testing. There's going to be tough days. You say, days? Man, it's been months. It's been years. <laughs> and I understand that. Some, some people, it just seems like they've been going through the fire for a long time. But I'm going to tell you something. It's never in vain. It's never for nothing. And God is always doing something. God is always at work. He's always active in our lives. And His days that He allows of testing to come in our life, they serve a purpose. What would this woman do? And that is what we're examining tonight. What would this woman do? We see what she did when she had resources to be a blessing. She used them. We see what she did when, 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 when uh, she's asked and she's humbled, but she receives a blessing and God has blessed her. And we see her on those days. But what will she do on the day of testing? What will she do? Like Job. He had, I think you can find that phrase, and there was a day, and there was a day, and there was a day. Wasn't that way in Job? I just thought about that. I didn't even think about that before 
we could go over to Job and find there was a day and he lost everything. And in just a matter of moments, Job lost everything that he had. And it all happened on a day. It happened on a certain day in Job's life. What will you do on the day of testing? How will you respond? How will you act? Will you get bitter? Will you get angry? Will you fall out? Will you, will you, what are you going to do? And that is the that is the purpose of a test. Oh, I'm about to get on my message here, but that's the purpose of a test to see how you respond, to evaluate your life, see where you're at. What is she going to do when her world falls apart? I mean, can I, before I before I just point out a couple of things, go go to the New Testament with me just for a minute. I got I wasn't sure if I was going to turn here or not, but go to the book of James just for a second. James chapter one. Let me just show you some New Testament truths that really parallel some of the things that I'm looking at in our Old Testament story tonight. Uh, James chapter 1. And look at verse number 2, if you will. James chapter 1, verse 2. For sake of time, I'm just going to go ahead and jump in. Here's what James said. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Do you see that in verse number two? He said, count it all joy. Now, how in the world are you supposed to do that when you fall into divers temptations? I, I don't know about you, but that's not my first response when the trials come, when the temptations come, it's not, whoopee, hallelujah. Is that yours? Okay. Y'all seem to be pretty honest tonight. That's good. I was going to call some of you liars, but everybody said, no, preacher, no. So that's good. We're all being honest tonight. That's good. When you fall into divers, that word divers, it's just that if we, would, if we were spelling it these days, we would just put an E on the end of it. Diverse. Just different there are different kind of tests. There are different kind of temptations. And of course, when we're talking about temptations here, the temptations that God puts in our life, it's kind of like how He tempted Abraham. You remember that in Genesis 22? God did tempt Abraham. It's not a temptation to sin. God does not tempt with evil, right? And James goes on to say that. I believe in this chapter. That's not, that's not what God does. He doesn't put sin in front. That's what the devil does. These temptations are, they're tests. They're trials. That's what a trial is. A trial to try you. That's what these things are in your life. And he puts them in our life. Why? Because they work a greater good in our life. They have a maturing effect on the life of the believer. They bring about spiritual maturity and endurance. And they strengthen us so that we might run the race longer and far and faster and, and, and run for the glory of God. That's what, that's what God's doing in our life. He's maturing us. He's completing us. And then flip over to 1 Peter. It's just one book to the right. You'll find Peter makes mention of this same principle here in verse number 6. 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse number 6, he said, he said, Wherein you greatly rejoiced, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. And I'll stop right there just for right now. But notice the things that he tells us about these trials. He tells us that they are seasonal. That means they're temporary. He says it's just a season. He said, if need be. He tells us they're necessary. He says, we got to have them. He talks about heaviness in verse number 6. He says, they're heavy. They're not easy. That's the nature of a trial. It's not easy. It's heavy on your life. It's heavy. And then he uses the word manifold. Do you see that? That's pretty much the same word that James used. Diverse, manifold, many. The, the word literally means multifaceted is what that means. Different trials. And I want you to really hone in on that word diverse in James and that word manifold in Peter right there because I want you to see that in, in, in our text back in 2 Kings that these trials, they come from different ways. Every trial that you go through, every test that you go through, I want you to know something. It's complicated. It's complicated. Have you ever, have anybody ever asked somebody to, to, uh, to try to explain what's going on? And it's just like, well, 
It's just, it's complicated. It's more than just, because I'm telling you, if, if you have something physical going on in your life, how many of you know when, when you're physically hurt, when you got something physical, you get a bad report of the doctor, you got something physical going on in your life, how many of you know it's not just, it doesn't just stop there. It's not just physical, is it? It's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual, financial. Every trial you go through is, is, is multifaceted. It has different parts and moving parts to it. Now you have a loved one that pass, passes away. Well, it's not just emotional. It's spiritual. God, what have I done? God, what are you doing in my life? It could be financial. How am I going to pay for this? And how are we going to take care of that? It can be, it can be, uh, 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 it can be physical where, where there's literally you know, physical pain in your life over uh, heartbreak and heartache. There's so many things that are going on. It, it hit, hits you so many different ways. And he talks about that. Manifold temptations. I, I wish things were so simple that it just was straightforward, but it's not. It feels sometimes the trials and the tests feel like they're trying you from every single angle that you possibly could could, could deal with. Does that, does that make any sense at all? makes sense to me. I know I felt like that before. I wish, I wish things were simple, but it's not. Trials are complicated. They're complicated, but same thing James said. They're for a greater good. The trial of your faith, verse number 7, is much more precious than, gold, than of gold that perisheth. What trials accomplish in your life is much more valuable because it's something that is eternal. It's something that lasts. Gold, money, it, 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 it all fades away, right? It, it goes away. It, it, it grows wings and flies away. Either it's going to get stolen or you're going to have to spend it or you're going to have to do something with it or, or, uh, it, or you're going to die and you're going to leave it all. Money is a temporary thing for a temporary time and it is very, 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 very temporary. But what what trials do in your life is much more valuable than gold because it shapes and it matures and it completes and it purifies a faith that lasts throughout all of eternity and it has eternal consequences because how many of you know this, that there are rewards in heaven for being faithful when you're tried? I think that's back in James, right? When you're tried, there's a crown of life. Something like that. Y'all tracking with me? Y'all look at verse up. It's in the, maybe I was reading the NIV the other day. I don't remember what it was. It's somewhere. When your faith is tried, there are rewards. It's eternal things. It has eternal consequences. It impacts people in eternal ways. Somebody might look at you going through your trial and say, man, look at what they're going through. Look at what they're doing. And it might impact them eternally. They may get saved. They may surrender their life to God. All kind of things that God uses for eternal goods. And then it's eternally, at the end of verse number 7, under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. It ultimately brings glory and honor to God. I want you to go back to 2 Kings with me. I wanted just to point out a couple things about testings in our life out of those texts right there because I see some of these things, especially when it talks about that thing of being diverse, multifaceted, manifold temptations. It's very interesting to me. And I got just two points I want to give you. Uh, I see what time it is, but I'm going to try not to take too long. It's two, two points, but I got like 28 subpoints under each one of them. So it's really two messages I'm preaching, but... I'm going to call it two points. Uh, and I see something about the process of God's testing and then the purpose for God's testing. And let me just put it under those headings tonight and then we'll go home. Number one, something about the process of God's testing. The process. Both James and Peter, they emphasize the fact that these tests can come in various ways, diverse, manifold. And it seems like this Shunammite woman, on her day of testing, she, she, she was tested in a variety of different ways. I call them God's tools of testing. Things God uses to, to test His children. Let me just give you a couple of... I, I gave them all a, a word that starts with the letter D so we could remember them real easily tonight. The first test that she goes through is the test of death, death. And that's very simple. You can see that. Her child, sick, something in his head. Don't know what it is. Maybe an aneurysm, maybe something like that. Severe pain in his head. And obviously, and eventually, it takes his life. And she holds her child until midday, until noon. And, and the child passes away on her lap. I, I can't think. I mean, please, please, please stop yourself from reading over that casually. 
This woman just held her, her child until he died in her lap. I, that would be, I, I don't know. I don't know how you'd process something like that. All the things that's going on in her mind, all the things she's just dealt with, one of the things that absolutely has stopped and has sidetracked and has uh, just, uh, uh, I mean, just absolutely uh, just derailed, derailed so many good Christians. I've seen it when God allows someone in their life to pass away, somebody that they love, somebody that very important to them, very close to them, and it seems like they... Um, Seems like they just give up living. And, and I, listen, I'm not judging anybody for anything. I'm just telling you what I've observed. I, I don't know what I'd do if I had a child die, if I had a spouse die. I don't know. I have no idea uh, what I would be or what I would do. I don't think I would be able to function very well. Uh, but I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying I've just seen it, just observing from that, just help, trying to pray with people and help people and encourage people. And I, 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 Man, it just seems like that is one of the worst trials in all the world. And when I think about death, it may not just be a, a loved one. It could be the death of something in your life. Death is just separation. That's all death is. And sometimes God allows things to die. A relationship dies. A, 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 a dream dies. A, a goal dies. Something that you really wanted and you're separate from it, something, a ministry. I've seen preachers struggle with ministry dying and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to move on. They don't know how to carry on. And God will allow from time to time, He will allow things to disappear out of our lives that we were not ready for them to leave just yet. We weren't expecting them to leave. God allows death. That's a test. It's a trial, no doubt about it. It's a trial. There was death in her life. There was discouragement in her life. I'm interested in verse 22 where it says that she called unto her husband and said, Send me, I pray thee, one of the young men and one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. And here's his response. Do you notice it in verse 23? Here's the husband's response. Wherefore wilt thou go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. So why, why are you going to church today? It ain't Sunday. It ain't revival night. And it ain't Sunday. What are you doing today? Which lets me know a couple of things. Number one, she was faithful to go. I guess she went on Sabbath days, went to Carmel. Elisha was having some kind of something. He was doing something on, on Sabbath days up there. They were having some kind of a service. And then on new moons and things and feast days and stuff, they'd have something special. She'd get in the, in, in the, in the, uh, in the chariot on, on one of the animals or whatever, and she would take off to Carmel. And that was her custom. She was faithful to go. And the husband, though, obviously oblivious to what is going on. I don't understand. I, I, I don't want to put all kind of a bad light on this husband, but the Bible does not paint him in that great of a light. Have you noticed that? It's the woman that, hey, well, let's build him a chamber. And then it's just, it's, it's, always, it's always her. seems to be kind of an absence of spiritual leadership in the home. Now, I don't want to preach what's not in the Bible, but doesn't it just seem that way? And he has no spiritual discernment. He has no discernment of what's going on. And then, if nothing else, when she says... Hey, I need, to, I need to saddle an ass and so I can go and find the man of God and go to Carmel. The Bible says in verse 24 that she had to do it. He wouldn't even put a saddle on the donkey for her. How about that? It's almost like she's not getting any encouragement at home to get the kind of help that she's looking for. And I'm going to tell you something. One of the most Trying things for me personally, I'll just speak for me personally, it's discouragement. It's when you look for encouragement from somebody, but you get discouragement from somebody. In fact, a lot of times it's the very people that you would hope would encourage you and would be there with you and would be there to help you and would be there to... And those, are, and those become your greatest sources of discouragement. And what is that? That's a test. Can you stay faithful when people discourage you? When people try to dissuade you? When people question you? When people 
try to uh, rain on your parade as it as it is as it as it were here in this text. When people try to uh, when tr- when people are not the encouragement. Listen, I wish it were so that when you got saved and you sold out to God and you're going to live for Jesus, I wish I could say everybody in the church is going to be there to fan the flames and encourage you just to go on for Jesus. But listen, I'm here to tell you it ain't that way. People in the church have discouraged me much more than any of this world. This world hasn't bothered me one bit in a lot of ways. I'll tell you what, there's been some some church people that have been just a wet blanket. Can I say it like that? I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just telling you. And I'll tell you, what are the, those are tests is what they are. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you can't walk alone, you won't walk for long. And if you can't go on in the strength of God, if you have to draw from other people, and I love encouragement, and we need encouragement, and God made it that way, but I'm here to tell you, it ain't always going to be there when you think it ought to be there. You better learn to serve God, trust God, go to God, run to God, love God, worship God, even when you're not getting any encouragement from anybody else. Or you won't ever be doing it very consistently. Amen. That discouragement she got from her husband, what's that? It's a test. It's a test. The death of her son, it's a test. The discouragement, it's a test. The difficulty, I'm not going to take time to go through all this, but, but there, it's, it's, it's 17 miles of rough mountainous terrain between Shunem and Carmel. She was willing to endure the difficult to get to the man of God. God will sometimes put distance and difficulty between you and your answer just to see how how far are you willing to go? How, how can, you hang, can you hang on? Because that's what she tells the guy that's driving for. She said, don't slack up on account of me. I'll be hanging in there no matter how rough the road is. I like that, don't you? Man, we need some people that can hang. Amen. Sometimes God will make your road just a little bit rocky just to see how tough you'll hang in there. It's a test is what it is. It's a test is what it is. Disappointment. Death, discouragement, difficulty. What about disappointment? She comes to the man of God, verse 28. And here's what she said. Listen to this. Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? You know what those words indicate? That on some level she felt like she had been deceived. She had been... You know what disappointment is? Disappointment is unmet expectations. That's what disappointment is. Disappointment is when you expected this, but you got this. That space between that, that's disappointment. And I'm going to tell you something. There is nothing that will poison your heart quicker than disappointment in God. When you are disappointed in God, when you feel like God promised you this, but here's what you got. Can I tell you something? God has never disappointed you. I promise you, I'm not saying you've never felt disappointment in God, but I'm just here to tell you, God is never, most of the time when we feel disappointed in God, it is a couple things going on. We, we, we feel like God owes us something that He never promised us. We hold God to standards and expectations that He never said He would meet. We think God, God listen, I mean, God doesn't owe us a comfortable life. God doesn't owe you health until you're 99 years old. God doesn't owe you. God doesn't owe us our family being with us every hour of every day for as long as we want them to be there. God doesn't owe me a successful ministry. God doesn't owe me a big house and a nice car. God doesn't owe me a big bank. God doesn't owe us anything. Everything God gives us is His grace and His mercy. The only thing, if God dealt with us in fairness, guess what we would get? We would get hell. That's what we'd get. And God in His grace said He would give this boy a son. And what did He do? God kept every promise that He ever made this woman. But there's there's an element of disappointment. God has... You've deceived me. You told me me this was going to happen. And and it's almost like she said, "I I was happy without it. Why did you create... God, why did you create something and then take it away from me? I would have been fine with that. I wish I'd have never had it to begin with. I'd have been better off. She doesn't like the way that God has dealt with her. She doesn't feel like it's right. 
disappointment. In fact, I think that's probably why she didn't go. I always wondered, why did she just go straight to Elisha when the boy was crying about his head? Why did she wait till noon and let him die on, his, on her lap? Well, I'll tell you why, because she didn't think the boy was going to die. She thought this boy, there's no way he could die. God gave, this is the miracle son God gave me. He's bulletproof. What I have will always be here. But I'm here to tell you something. What you have may not always be here. The Lord giveth. And the Lord what? He's God. He's the God who gives. He's the God who takes away. And if He gave it, and He has, does He have the right to give it? Yes. Does He have the right to take it away? Absolutely. There's nothing in our lives that God does not have the right to take out of our lives at any moment. Either He's God or He's not. And we want Him to be just God enough. We want Him to be just God enough to give us what we want, but not God enough to take away things out of our life, and we don't want Him to take things out of our life. And that's not the way things work. You don't get to choose what kind of level of God you have. Either He's God or He's not. And he is, by the way. But there was disappointment in her life. I'm telling you, disappointment, whew, if you do not deal, listen to me now. Am I, and even if I just preach this and we go home right here, it'll be fine. But if you don't deal with that disappointment, it will deal with you. It will deal with you. If you don't deal with that discouragement, it will deal with you. I'm here to tell you. You better, you better work. You better realize it is a test. It is God testing you to see will you trust Him? Will you love Him? Will you follow Him? Will you serve Him even when people discourage you? Will you follow Him? Will you love Him? Will you serve Him even when, when you are disappointed in the way things have turned out? It's a test. This is her day of testing. And then I see a final test, and it's one I'm going to call delay. From verses 32 to 36, this mother, she's waiting outside a closed door. They're back at the house. They're back at the prophet's chamber. Elisha's in there with the child, but she's on the outside of a closed door. She's waiting. She's wondering. She don't know, is he going to live? Is he, I mean, is he going to live again? What's going to happen? What's going on? She doesn't know, and she just has to sit there, and she just has to wait. Now, I've always just kind of blow, blow through those verses right there, but I got to thinking, because I hate waiting. Don't, don't, you hate waiting? How many of y'all waiting for this sermon to be over? Isn't it horrible? Man, I hate waiting. Man, I, I tell you, I mean, just, I mean, just, especially when you don't know, you don't know. I'm waiting on a phone call tonight. I don't know if I got one yet. I'm waiting on a phone call right now. We're trying to do things with our house and selling things, and I'm just waiting. I'm just like, man... I want to know. Let me know. I hate waiting. But sometimes you got to, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. The door is closed and you out here and the problem's in there and God's taking care of it and you just got to wait. You can't see what's going on. You can't peek in there. You can't peek under the door. You can't peek around. You can't, you can't do anything. You just got to sit there. You got to wait. And it's easy to get mad and, and discouraged and it's easy to curse God while you're waiting. Many times your flesh wants to do that. What is that? You say, what? it's a test. It's a test is what it is. Can you sit down and shut up and trust God? <laughs> it's tough to do. It's tough to do many, many times and just wait on God. It's a test. And there, there's much more. I'm sure you could add to this list here, but in this story, those are the ones I see how God is testing her with death, with discouragement, with difficulty, with disappointment, with delay. And God is using these manifold temptations. Listen, don't be surprised when these things... That's how Peter... I didn't get to that verse, but later on in 1 Peter, he says, Think it not strange. Don't think it a weird thing. It's not an odd thing concerning those fiery trials which are to try you. It's part of life. God uses them. God allows them. That's His process. And then, lastly, and I'm done tonight, the purpose of God's testing. And I'll just give it to you real quickly. God doesn't order up these trials in our life just because He's some kind of cosmic terrorist. He's not. And some people think God's just some twisted, you know, you know, dictator up in heaven that it gets a kick out of, 
out of, out of people's misery and people's lives. Can I tell you, if that's the view you have of God, that didn't come from the Bible and that didn't come from the Holy Spirit living inside you. That's what, that's what our enemy, that's the picture our enemy paints of God. He's cruel. He's unloving. That's what he did for Eve in the garden, right? He's holding back. There's something way better. There's something behind. And God just doesn't want you to be it. God, God's trying to hold you back. There's so much more, but God's so mean, he won't let you have it. And I'm here to tell you, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. Pants on fire. Nose as long as a telephone wire. Don't believe anything he's ever got to say about God. Because he ain't ever going to say anything good about God. He's never going to say anything. He hates God. He ain't ever going to say anything good about God. He's going to paint God in, the ba- in, a, in a mean. He's mean. Well, let me have anything. It's like, you know, like teenagers, like what they think of their parents. Ugh. They're so mean all the time. That's demonic is what that is. That's how the devil wants you to think about God. He's not. I'm telling you something about God. He's our Father. He loves us. He cares for our spiritual maturity. I'm glad that He has the wherewithal to say no or not right now or not this anymore. And He cares more about our spiritual maturity than He does our comfort and us being happy in our by our own definition of happiness. God has a reason for every test and every trial and God gives tests. For the same reason, I thought about, it's the same reason teachers give tests. You remember tests in school? Those are the worst, aren't they? Have you ever, thought, you ever, you ever get a test in school you thought, what is the, why are we even doing this? This is stupid. Am I the only one who ever thought that? Nobody likes tests. But teachers give them, and there, 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 are, a re, there, are, there are reasons for it. There is a purpose why teachers give tests. What is it? It's evaluation, right? Test, reveal where you're at. Can I tell you something? There's been many times God's allowed some things, some discouragement or some death or some difficulty or some delay or some disappointments, whatever it may be, the test comes in my life. And you know what I realized? One of the things I realized by my response to those things, I realized, you know what? Chris Simpson ain't near as spiritual as he thought he was. You ever take a test in school and you get it back and you were like, how did I get that bad of a grade? It's because you weren't near as smart as you thought you were. You weren't near as prepared as you thought you were. You didn't study as good as you thought you did. Come on now. Tests are evaluators. They're evaluations. They're revelations. They tell you where you're at. That's why teachers give tests. They're trying to figure out where everybody is at and so that everybody might know where they are at. I'm here to tell you, we ain't near as spiritual as we think we are. Sometimes I think, man, I'm such a... You know, I've arrived here, arrived there, and guess what? You know, one, you know, one person cuts you off in traffic right there, and you realize, you know what? I think I got the spirit. I don't have enough spirituality to blow the fuzz off a peanut. You couldn't even fill a thimble with my spirituality in traffic. <laughs> Y'all pray for me. <laughs> I pray for Heather. She, I almost got an amen out of her right there. I could tell. I could feel it coming. Almost. The first one ever. God sends you tests. And God knows everything. He knows everything. He's not trying to figure you out. Obviously, He knows where we're at. But He wants you to know where you're at. He wants me to know where I'm at. He said, I don't care where I'm at. Well, then that's your problem right there. <laughs> You just you just be ready for a lot more trials and <laughs> come on that. You know why? Hey, God's a good. You know what a good teacher will do? A good teacher. By the way, I'm a good teacher. A good teacher will let you retake the test. If you made a bad grade, he'll let you retake it. And I'm gonna tell you what God will do. You keep failing the same test over and over. You're gonna keep having to take the same test over and over. You might as well learn from your mistakes, and so you don't have to take it anymore. Say amen right there. They're evaluations. Miss Maddie, you can come around. I got to be done. It's for evaluation. It's for edification. What is it? It's to grow us, right? Isn't that what it says? Isn't that the, the trial of our faith being much more precious than gold that perish? 
and it talks about how we might be found of the praise, honor, and glory. Isn't that what James talked about when he talked about that we be perfect, entire, wanting nothing? It's for edification. It's for growth. Tests stretch you beyond where you were. When you study for those things and you get ready for those things, and you're what you're doing, you're stretching your mind and your knowledge and your skill level and all that, and God will throw tests in your life. Why? So you can grow and you get over that one. And you know what you do? You get, it, you get a little bit stronger. And then you get ready for the next one, and it makes you a little bit stronger. I'm going to tell you something. I, I've not been through a lot. I really haven't. I'm going to be honest about it. Not compared to a lot of people, I haven't been through a lot. But I tell you, when, when, when I'm going through a little something in my life, I've already been through enough that I can look back and say, you know what? This is tough. That was tough. God got me through that back there. And you know what I do? Instead of laying down, I just, just pony up, you know? Just saddle up, buckle up, just suck it up, <laughs> buttercup. We're just going to go through it. I got through that. I can get through this. And it makes you stronger. That's what tests do. That's what trials do. It's like, it's like the muscle, you know. I've used that illustration before. You lifting weights, it tears down those muscles, but then they regenerate and they build up and they're stronger than they were before. And that's what trials do. That's what weights do in your life. That's what, that's what those tests do. And this woman, she made it through this test. And no doubt she was stronger on the other side because of it. It's for evaluation. It's for edification. And then ultimately, it's for exaltation. And what I mean by that is, you know what? When you pass the test, you know what that does? It reflects on the teacher, doesn't it? It makes the teacher look good. It makes the teacher look good. When the whole class fails the test, it makes the teacher look bad. Don't ask me how I know. When everybody does good, it makes the teacher look good. Like, hey, I taught them something. They learned something. Now listen, when we fail, that doesn't mean God's a bad teacher. It means we're a bad student. I understand that. But when we, when we ace the test, when we make it through, you know what, that does make him look good, doesn't it? I, I don't know about you, but I want to make him look good. He is good. I just want everybody to know how good he is. I want to, I want, I want, I want to glorify him. I want to, I want to give praise and honor and glory to him at his appearing. That's what, that's what Peter said. I want God to look good. I want to get through it. And I want, I, want, I want this world to know. I want my kids to know. I want my church to know. Listen, that I, I don't have it all figured out, but through the help and grace of God, He's helped me get through some tough times. He's that kind of God. Help me get through it. Amen. And it makes them look good. It makes the teacher look good. He is good. It's for His glory. I mean, this woman, she passes her test. And I, I'm not going to take time to go through all of it, but she runs straight to God with her problem. She exhibits faith and in in, in peace in the peace that she has in God's will. She says, it shall be well, it is well. She overcomes the discouragement and disappointment that was thrown her way. She goes the distance, even through the difficulty. She waits patiently for God to work. And then at the end, when her boy is raised to life, She's worshiping God and gives Him the glory. I'm going to tell you something. That's passing your test right there. That's passing your test. That was her day of testing. You say, preacher, I'm not in a day of testing right now. Well, it's coming. Maybe you are in a day of testing. I'll tell you what I want to do when I, when I realize, when, when, when I'm in a day of testing. I want to recognize it. I want to realize it. I want to realize this is a test. This is a test. God doesn't hate me. He's not trying to be cruel in my life. He, he's trying to help me some way. I don't even, just because I don't understand it, don't mean it's not there. He's trying to grow my faith. He's trying to perfect me, trying to mature me. And I'm going to use this to bring honor and glory to Him. It may hurt. I mean, it may, it may be painful, but I am going to shine the light of, 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 of glory to God. And I want everybody to know that God is faithful. And God is good even when things are falling apart in my life. And I want, to give, I want to give God all the glory and just do what I can where God's, whatever situation God's put me in. That's, man, that's my heart right there. I just want to give God all the glory. Whatever comes about in a day of testing, He gets all the praise. He gets all the honor. He gets all the glory. I'll tell you, there's some people that, 
I just feel like, man, my, my heroes spiritually, they're not, well, I don't want to say who they're not, but let me tell you who they are. They're people that have gone through. The, the, the people I look up to the most, I could give you a list. I give you the names. You wouldn't know most of them because they're not preachers on a flyer somewhere. They're, 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 they're church people. I'll tell you who they are. They're church people that I saw growing up, that I saw go through some of the hardest tests and trials in their life, and they stayed faithful. That's who made a big impact on my life. It's people like in my home church, like a lady named Sherry Key, who ran her bus. She'd come to church every Sunday, tried to raise her kids in church without her husband coming with her. He wouldn't come. She ran a bus route every Sunday. She was out visiting every Saturday. ran that bus every Sunday. Her husband took his life. He committed suicide. And you know what? She never missed a beat. She's back on that bus a week or two after. And I could count on, I pastored her for five years, and I could count on my, I, I couldn't count on my hand. I mean, I wouldn't even need one hand probably. I wouldn't need two hands. I'll tell you how many services she missed. Faithful. Still is right now. Still is right now. Faithful to God. I'll tell you about a man that gave, gives so much and lost his business when the economy crashed in 2008. Lost millions of dollars. Millions and millions. He lost more money than I'll ever make in my whole lifetime. He lost. But he stayed faithful and he kept giving what he had and doing what he could. And he's still faithful to this day. That kind of people make impact on me. It's like I was sitting, I got to sit with Brother Randy yesterday just for a little bit. And I don't mean to embarrass you, Miss Cindy, but I sit with Brother Randy Chrisley and his and, and his his body is just not what he not what it was when I came ten years ago, Miss Cindy. He was running a van and busy and all that kind of stuff and now he's 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 in a recliner and but at that little center he goes to every day, you know what he did? He started a Bible study. He asked me if he could start a Bible. He said, I got, he said, I got eight in there with me. He said, we do a Bible study every day or whatever it is. whatever. And they've had some of the nurses and stuff. come. It's a Church of Christ little facility or whatever, but they, he does a Bible study there. You know what that is? That's somebody acing their test. And you might look at somebody and say, man, he's all, you know, there he is, poor thing. I don't know what we're going to, and he barely, he can't even hardly come to church. He's bound in a wheelchair and a recliner and a hospital bed at home and all that kind of stuff. But when I looked at him yesterday, as I sat with him just for a little bit, I thought, there's somebody passing their test. It's their day of testing and they're acing it. I don't know if I was in there. I don't know if I'd be, I don't know what I'd be doing. I'd like to say I'd be praising God like he is and trying to study the Bible with people and do what I can. I don't know, because I get mad when somebody cuts me off in traffic. I'm ready, to I'm ready to resign when somebody looks at me sideways. Come on now. That's strong faith right there. I've been preaching too long, but I'm just here to tell you, I want to pass my test. This woman had some faith. Doesn't mean she didn't wobble a little bit. Doesn't mean she was perfect. She was still upset. She still didn't understand everything. You know what she did? She went, she went to the man of God. She stayed faithful. She didn't get mad at God. I'm here to tell you, I, there's going to be days of tests. Man, I want to get through them, and I want him to get all the glory. When I saw Brother Randy, you know, talking about Randy and these others that I mentioned, and I can listen, I mentioned a host of others, I wasn't thinking about how, and they are wonderful, and they are my heroes, no doubt about it, but I thought, man, what a God. What a view of God they have. I thought, man, are we even serving the same God? They, they see God as something altogether different than maybe what I look at Him as sometimes. God help me.